Hey, welcome to PT Snacks Podcast. This is Casey, your host. And if you're tuning in for the very first time, one, welcome. But two, what you need to know about this podcast is that it's meant for physical therapists and physical therapist students who are looking to grow your fundamentals in bite-sized segments of time. Hence the name PT Snacks, right? And today we're going to cover something that is not all that common in an ortho setting, which is kind of what this podcast is geared more towards, um, but is actually just pretty common. It's called central cord syndrome, and it's actually one of the most common forms of incomplete spinal cord injuries um, that we'll see often in, in the States. So the reason why we're covering it is that it causes widespread injuries, and sometimes when you see these patients, you may not understand really what is going on because it can be really confusing. And obviously, it's a lot easier to treat someone if you kind of know what the problem is, right? So we're going to cover it quickly, um, especially if you were one of those students in PT school that went running anytime you heard the word spinal cord. Um, so we'll cover it today briefly, and then it may help you to review some spinal tracks. Um, I know, don't hate me for saying that, but really it, it can be very useful, especially if you treat a heavy spine population. But let's cover what it is. So essentially it's central cord. There, there's an issue in the central cord. So it probably could have worked that one out yourself. But what happens is we see this a lot after like a hyperextension injury and especially people over the age of 50 that maybe already have some arthritic changes in their neck. Thinking of if you have compression anteriorly from bony spurs of disc material or posteriorly by the ligamentum flavum, you can see how if there's not a lot of space for that spinal cord to go, there's a lot of pressure that's built up centrally, which causes an incomplete spinal cord injury. The reason they came to this conclusion, they did a lot of like myelogram studies on cadavers and have kind of just studied the effects over time of where the symptoms exist. Um, now, this is thought to have more compression on the spinothalamic tract, which if you need a refresher, that's the temperature and pain tract, and then also the corticospinal tracts, which are more motor and sensory deficits. So with these patients, they're actually going to have a lot more deficits in their upper extremities than their lower extremities. And so hence, yes, it's widespread, um, but the reason being the upper limb tracts are more medial compared to the lower extremity tracts, and the central is more affected due to the external pressure, which therefore causes this distribution of symptoms. So... Let's say your patient's walking in, maybe they had a fall with hyperextension of the neck or something like that. Now, what would you see? So as I mentioned, you're going to see more significant strength impairments in the upper extremities than lower. They may have some sensory deficits below the level of injury, but that can be variable. So it might be pain and temperature, could be light touch. They might have a cape-like distribution across their upper back or down posterior upper extremities. And then they might also have neck pain where the actual spinal cord impingement occurred. If the injury was really bad, they might even complain of things like bladder dysfunction. Now, other things that it could be, if you're, you're going through this exam and you're like, holy cow, this person has pain everywhere, symptoms everywhere. I don't like this. Um, 
other differentials that were mentioned in the research I saw were like avulsion of the cervical roots um, or something called cruciate paralysis, which is similar in that it is it can cause bilateral upper extremity paresis while sparing the lower extremities. Um, different in that it affects the selective descending fibers of the corticospinal tract that desiccate at the cervical medullary junction, which is where they think that this disease happens. This is a hypothesis. The reason why that they think that is that in this region, the motor tracts of the upper extremity cross ventrally and superiorly to the fibers that supply the lower extremities, which may explain why there's preferential damage. Now, cruciate paralysis is extremely, extremely rare. So I wouldn't really jump to this as your first thought if you're suspecting someone with these kind of symptoms. In fact, there's not really a lot of research on it. So just like keep that in mind. Now, then the question begs, what do we do? Um, A lot of these patients are going to be non-surgical. They might immobilize the neck and then do physical therapy and occupational therapy just to try and maximize neurological returns. Um, depending on on what's affected, obviously. If there is spinal cord compression, sure, they might get a surgery. But a lot of times we're just trying to allow that area to heal and recover, which obviously takes a long time. Um, The prognosis varies a lot depending on, um, you know, how long the symptoms were, how much trauma actually happened, Um, how old the patients are. So someone who's younger is going to have a better prognosis than someone that's a little older. And the sooner that they get help, the better. Usually if there's some sort of trauma, then we have more hopes of recovery of neurological dysfunction um, compared to some people have thought that this can even just develop with gradual weakening of the vertebrae in the neck or the herniations of the discs that narrow the spinal column. Um, which may add compression whenever when the neck is hyperextended. Um, that sounds super fragile, but again, if you just understand the mechanisms of what might be going on, it may help you just to rule out some other things too or just rule this in in your exams as you're doing this. So there we have it, central cord syndrome. Essentially, you should understand what does it look like. Remember, more upper extremity dysfunction than lower extremity who typically gets this? So people usually over the age of 50 with a hyperextension injury and then also prognosis varies. So um, if you guys have any other questions, you can email me at ptsnackspodcast.gmail.com or just find me on Instagram, pt underscore snacks. I love hearing from you guys. If you want to support the show, that helps a ton. There's a link below called buy me a coffee. And I've set it up to where if you just want to donate and not have to think about it, um, there's like a membership for $3 a month where you can help me to provide free, good quality information and then also future projects along the way. Um, But you can also support the show just by writing a positive review and sharing with your friends. Especially if you're a little limited on funds, you've got student loans, you're a PT student. Believe me, I know what that feels like. So um, that's it for today, guys. If you need some CEUs, check out the link below for MedBridge. They are offering listeners 40% off on their promo codes. 
I use it every day and it is super helpful. You've got access to like thousands of CEU courses, webinars, even a patient home exercise program. So definitely check it out, especially if you're just curious about it. Um, But other than that, just let me know if there's some topics that you want me to cover. And until next time.